enlighten me Bitch, I be a boss, I got the sauce, no point in fighting me Demons leave them torch, I run my kingdom, call me sire We never taking L's, only lessons No, we never counting fails, only blessings Never stressing I said enlighten me I be a boss, I got the sauce, no point in fighting me Gang, they hyping me, rightfully I am stable, I am able, I am wealthy Full of health, on the rise, I got the belt You got a problem? Check yourself, bitch I feel like I welcome to enlighten me, bitch Welcome to another episode <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Enlighten Me, Bitch I'm Ren Woods. Uh, my friend just told me I'm brave for wearing a crop top while I'm recording a podcast. Uh, don't know what that means. I guess that means stop wearing crop tops when you're over 30. Um, fuck her. It's like a hoodie crop top, though. I feel like it's like fine. You know, it's like cash. Whatever. I just wanted to say thank you so much to everyone who's given me feedback on last week's episode. If you tuned in, um, I got very real about the time when my brother died last August and I appreciate everybody listening. And I just want to let you guys know that I do appreciate the support. And if you so feel like it, give me a five-star review, leave a comment, let me know what you like about the podcast. Don't let me know what you hate about it. I'm just kidding. I will take any kind of criticism or feedback. I have thick skin. So this week is going to be kind of a continuation of last week because I feel like one hour isn't really enough time to go through all of the emotions that you go through with grief. So I was talking to a friend over the weekend. Um, her mom has cancer and we were talking about the weird shit that people say to you when you're going through something really hard like that. And one of the things that she mentioned that she hates when people say to her is everything's going to be okay. That is also something that I absolutely hated to hear from anybody. And I know that when people say that, it is a sentiment. It is, they're coming from a good place. I don't think anybody who says everything is going to be okay means ill will or harm towards you. Definitely not. But here's what not to say to somebody when they're grieving, and that is everything's going to be okay. Because the cold, hard fucking truth is that everything is not going to be okay. And if your friend has a parent who's dying of cancer or a sister or a brother who's just gotten in a really bad car accident and you don't know what's going to happen to that person because you're not a cancer doctor. You're not in the ER operating on the person's back that just got in the car accident. You don't know what's going to happen. So to say everything's going to be okay is just a bold-faced lie. I really appreciated a couple weeks after Harper died, I had a friend, my friend Ariana, took me to lunch and she looked at me and she said, well, this just fucking sucks. And honestly, I just started laughing and it was the first time I'd laughed in a month. And it was, I needed it. I, I needed that release of laughter. She was so raw and honest and, you know, she continued on. She said, I don't really know what else to say to you. This just fucking sucks. Like, it is what it is. It's not going to get any better. Your brother's not coming back and I'm so sorry. I'm here for you. And that was just such an honest 
way to react to what was going on. And it made me really appreciate her even more as a friend. She's an excellent friend, you know, always has been. But the real honest answers are what got me through that time, I think. I don't know. The people who sugarcoat shit just piss me off. But that's an everyday life. I don't like people who sugarcoat shit normally. So maybe if you're a person who does like sugarcoating, then you need that tender, loving care. You need that like babying, the, you know, holding hand through all everything. Maybe that's just something that you need. But I personally hated that. And the majority of people I've talked to that have gone through such tragedies, they also hate when people tell them that everything's going to be okay. I don't really think there is one right answer of what is the right thing to say. And it's totally okay if your friend is going through some shit and you don't know what to say. Be honest about that. Look at them and say, hey, I don't know what to say to you right now. This is really unfortunate. I'm so sorry you're going through this. And I just want to let you know that I'm here for you. If there's anything I can do, I'm always going to be here. I don't really need somebody to call me 25 times to get me to talk about something. I'm pretty open of a podcast, you know, obviously. But my friend who I was talking to whose mom has cancer, she mentioned that she's grown to this place where she doesn't really want to talk to anybody about it. And that is totally understandable. It's just, I'm sure that the topic brings her immense sadness. Her mom has terminal cancer, so she knows the outcome. I think she's mentally preparing herself for what's going to happen. So for somebody to say everything's going to be okay to her, that's really detrimental because it's just not the truth. But if you have a friend whose parent has cancer, but it's not terminal, but it's come back for the third time, that can also be detrimental because you just don't know. Like, we don't know what's going to happen in this life. Like, I don't know if everything's going to be okay. I don't. I, I don't know if anything's going to be okay. What I do know is that I wake up every day with a positive mindset and I make the best of things. And that's all we can really do. So I think we just need more honesty from people and more authenticity about how you're really feeling. Because people can sense when you're not being honest about the way that you feel. I mean, this was supposed to be like guidelines on what to say to people who are going through grief if you've never been through it yourself. But there, there really is no guidelines of what to say to people when they're going through grief because everybody's different. I think if it's a person who keeps their emotions bottled up inside, never talks about their feelings. Yeah, you're going to have to continuously call them, continuously text them. Really don't let your ego get in the way or your feelings hurt if they don't respond to you and keep on pushing through. Don't be abrasive about it, but let them know, hey, I'm here for you. Let me know if you need anything. I know that I really appreciated the people that kept texting me kept checking in with me uh, because at a certain point, people do stop reaching out. And it's a lot at once. And it's super overwhelming because you have hundreds, almost thousands of people reaching out to you from left, right, you know, 10 years ago, someone you met once. And it feels so nice. But then you go from having all of this attention from everybody to having nothing. So the 
people in my close circle who kept reaching out to me week after week. I really appreciated that. And I didn't really need somebody to send me, although a lot of people did, send me flowers, food, gifts, pajamas, whatever. And I obviously very much appreciated that. And I'm so grateful for it. All of it made me feel better. But the things that meant the most to me were the people that called me and just listened to me cry. (laughs) Honestly, that was really what helped me the most. Yeah, just don't tell people that everything's going to be okay if they're going through some shit. And that goes for everyday life. Like, you're not a fucking psychic. You don't know that everything's going to be okay. Another thing I wanted to talk about that was super hard for me during the whole week of Harper's death is that there was a person who used to sell him fentanyl at his funeral. That was super hard to see and to say hello to a person that I knew was partly responsible for getting him addicted to this drug that killed him. But at the end of the day, you can't blame other people for your mistakes. You can't blame other people for your family members' mistakes. Harper chose to do those drugs himself, and I'm very aware of that. And yes, he did die in a sober living house, which absolutely sucks. And I touched last week on the whole rehab industry is a business at the end of the day. They are just trying to get your money and they're they're not interested in helping you. And I've had a, several conversations with people that knew Harper and lived with him in these rehabs in the, in the last week because they'd listened to the podcast and they wanted to talk to me about just how fucking horrible it is in these places. I think the worst rehab that he was in was in Las Vegas. And that one, I I think three people have passed away in the past six or so months that were living with him at that time. And that's just so sad and unfortunate. You'd think that these places would be helping them. I, I don't know why so many people die after going to rehab. Like part of me thinks that it almost makes it easier for them to get the drugs because everybody there is addicted to them. So they kind of come together and they figure out a way. And that's the thing is that drug addicts, they will always find a way to get the drugs no matter what. And another thing that I didn't mention last week that a lot of people don't know is that when Harper died, that was the 14th time that he had overdosed. He had overdosed 13 times before the last. And that was obviously very hard for my family to go through from picking him up from the ER, seeing him rip the IV out of his arm and just go straight back into the street to get drugs because he couldn't stand being off of them for more than a few hours, to finding his lifeless body on the ground and having to call the ambulance. And that's something that will always be ingrained in all of my family's brain. And we just have to try and think about him as the light that he was. I don't see him in my mind as a drug addict. I see him in my mind as this funny, charismatic, amazing, smart, entertaining, loving person who was my best friend. It's not all dark. He wasn't always addicted to drugs and he would go in and out. 
he would be addicted to drugs for like six months and then he'd be clean for a couple months and then he'd go back. So it wasn't continuous because he would go to rehab and then get better and then get back on the street and then he'd go to a rehab. The rehab would make him worse. So then he'd have to go to another rehab. It was just a constant cycle. So about two months before Harper died in June of 2021, he actually overdosed at a Las Vegas rehab. He told me that he fully saw God, that he left his body and was looking down on his lifeless body laying in the hospital bed and that there was this like golden white light. They told him, it's not your time yet. You have some more life to live. And I fully believe that the only reason he made it through that is so that he could see my family one last time. We were all able to spend some time with him after that. It's very hard to think about. It's such like a harsh reality to face, to think about, you know, the why and the how and all of that kind of thing. Because it's just super fucking weird. But it is what it is. And my message to people is that I hope to bring more compassion to addicts. Because I don't like the way that they are treated in society as a whole. I think all too often we judge people for being addicts. And like I said last week, addicts need compassion just as much as they need tough love. It's really hard because you love them. You want the best for them. You want to be super angry at them for using. But we don't want to completely shut them out and just not speak to them anymore because it's it feels so heartless I think speaking to addicts like they are a human being do not patronize them do not talk down to them you're not better than them just because you're not on drugs they don't want to be on these drugs they hate being on these drugs so as long as you understand that so I want to pivot and talk about this video that I saw on Instagram I think it was so this woman was in her car and she was like, I'm sick of trying to find a man in Atlanta. So I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina, and the men are better here. If you're looking for a man, don't go to Atlanta, come to Charlotte. And I started laughing because it was clear that this woman's goal, I guess, was to get a man. But she was advertising that she did not yet have a man. But she also moved her life from one city to another just to find a man. And I don't know the backstory. I didn't like send this woman a DM, ask her what her job was in Charlotte, but that is the kind of toxic ass shit on the internet that we do not need. First of all, if you're gonna move to a new city, a whole ass brand new city, start a new life, that is fantastic. Do you? Love it. I'm all for a fresh start and starting over and experiencing new things. But for a man, a hypothetical man, what are you thinking? That is insane to me. Now, maybe there's more to the story. Maybe she was just deeply unhappy overall. But to say you are moving somewhere for a hypothetical man is just so crazy to me. There is just such a fucking problem in society. Like, why are we doing shit like that? If you want to find a man, you gotta 
start inside here and make sure that you are the partner that you want to be with. Because I see all these people out here and their standards are so high, but they themselves are not living up to the standards they have for other people. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like, and I see all these girls on the internet saying like, if he don't make this amount of money or if he doesn't have this type of job or if he doesn't buy me this and buy me that, but it's like, are you able to buy yourself those things? And I say this all the time because ultimately the view that you have about yourself is the view that other people are going to have about you. So if you want a man or let's say the roles are reversed. If you're a man and you want a woman to treat you like a king, you have to treat yourself like you are this king or queen, okay? And you have to do all of the things that you want from a partner to attract a certain standard of partner. It just seems so crazy to me that people are moving places to just find a mate. Don't you think that you have to be happy within yourself? Like, I mean, when my boyfriend and I started dating, I was happy as a clam living life by myself, loving life, being crazy, doing whatever. And he just came in out of nowhere and slapped me in the face with love. But I wasn't looking for it. If you're having a hard time finding a partner that you believe is worthy of your time, then probably you should look within yourself first and stop blaming all the shitty ass dates out there. You know, I always hear people saying like, oh, dating is so bad in Los Angeles. There's so many fucking fuck boys and trash girls, whatever. You know, the dating apps are awful. And I mean, I do not doubt that they are. But what energy are you giving out to attract that? That's my question for you. So I think you really just got to look within. And and that is a hard pill to swallow to realize that you are the problem. I'll give you an example kind of of an insecurity that I have. I am deeply afraid that people are going to think I'm stupid. And I don't know why I have this complex where this is an insecurity of mine. I don't want people to think I'm dumb. Maybe it's because I'm spacey. I talk a little slow. I don't know. But this is just something that I have something inside of me. And when I get into a fight with somebody and they are saying vicious, vindictive things, my first thought is, did you just patronize me? Are you calling me dumb? And they never said I was dumb. They never patronized me. But that was an insecurity that I had about myself that I was projecting onto this person. And I realized I've been doing this a lot lately. So I had to really like tone it in, tone it down and think about, oh shit, like they don't think I'm dumb. I think I'm dumb or I'm worried that they're thinking that I'm dumb. But if you just change your thought process and realize, you know, whatever the insecurity you have is just like a figment of your imagination, then you're Gucci, baby. Yeah. And then another thing is stop taking shit so personally. You know, it's not always fucking about you. 
I don't know. I think people waste so much of their time taking shit personally. When you're in an argument with somebody and they're being vindictive or crazy or saying mean-spirited shit to you, first of all, think about what they're saying. Is what they're saying a trigger for you because they're triggering an insecurity that you already held about yourself? Is what they're saying a reflection of how they feel about themselves? These are things that you have to think about so you can stay unbothered by all of this outside bullshit. And it's really hard to stay mentally stable all the time when you have all these clashing personalities that you work with, that live in your house, that you're friends with, that you see at your kid's school, you know, whatever, whoever. Just stop taking shit so personally because it's a waste of your damn time. I think in my 20s, I wasted the most time taking shit personally. I've always been a rather confident person. And if I have an insecurity, I'm just honest about it and we'll say it. And then it's like I basically overcome the insecurity by talking about it. So I don't think that I wasted too much time dwelling on like, oh, if people liked me or anything like that. But what I did waste time on was taking shit personally. Damn. If I could get that time back. I think about like the relationships I was in in my 20s. They were all unhealthy. But it's crazy when you realize that you were the emotionally unavailable one. All of those years, I thought that I was dating and attracting emotionally unavailable men. You know, I was getting into this with my therapist, and it is a slap in the face when you realize you're the emotionally unavailable one. And I think there was a part of me that was dating emotionally unavailable men because I knew that it would never get serious or I would have to commit in a serious capacity. And subconsciously, that's what I was doing. But I didn't realize that that's what I was doing at the time because, you know, I, I consciously wanted these relationships to work. You know, I thought they were going to go somewhere consciously, but subconsciously I sabotaged it every time. And I also thought I was dating all these terrible men that were so awful to me. Then I realized, like, oh, shit. When I was insecure, when I didn't love myself in my 20s, those men I was dating, they were a mirror of me. They were reflecting back to me the exact way that I felt about myself, which is a damn near slap in the face to realize how much you don't fucking love yourself. I've done so much inner work on myself. I'm sick of doing inner work on myself. Like, can I just be unhealthy and unstable and like whatever? But no, we got to do the work on ourselves. We got to evolve into a better human being. I'm not going to ever talk about my current relationship on this podcast because I believe in the privacy of some things and I do want to keep that sacred. But I am in the healthiest relationship I've ever been in. And I think that's because I finally do love myself and I'm very confident about the things I want in life. And, you know, I think it's so unhealthy when you just like merge your life with another human being and you don't keep your own life. You know, what was weird is in my 20s, I kept attracting these men who didn't support my career. 
and really anything about me. And I think it was because I didn't believe in myself, which I, you know, you say, people used to say that to me, you have to believe in yourself, you have to believe in yourself. And I thought that I did, but it's like, I really wasn't committed to believing in myself. So when you have these realizations, it's fascinating. And if you're in a long-term relationship that you've been in for you know, 20 plus years and you've been dating the person since high school and you didn't really have that time in your 20s to date different people. You know, I think the same is true for friendships. You know, I've unfortunately been through some friendships that I had to close the door on because they were toxic people. And I, I'm just, I'm not a judgmental person. I accept all different types of personalities. It's very hard to offend or piss me off. And you pretty much have to be a really fucking terrible person for me to cut you off. Um, I have had to do that a lot lately. And maybe it's just because I'm in my 30s now. So I give less of a fuck about if people like me or not. Don't really care about keeping people in my life just for the sake of having friends. And I think it kind of makes you a bit of a martyr if you say that you want these people to be in your life and you need all these friends because do you want these friends because they're good for you and you love these people or do you just want these friends for the sake of having friends? So that's like a weird thing that you realize in your 30s. And I think people that you've been friends with for years, if all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're like, fuck, I think this is a bad person, follow your gut instinct. Now, there's a difference. If you're just not relating to these friends anymore, then yeah, you know, maybe try to rekindle the friendship spark. Do whatever you can to try and find common ground again because, you know, having kids, lives, you live in different states, like that can pull people apart. But if they are a bad person and they are bringing toxic energy to you, if you get anxiety pit in your stomach every time you're around this person, then fucking ditch that person because you do not need that negative or toxic energy in your life. You just don't. I also want to talk about different ways to self-soothe when you have anxiety. Going through the grieving process can bring up a bunch of anxieties and feelings that are less than pleasant. So I just kind of wanted to share some different ways that I personally self-soothe and make myself feel better. I am not a doctor. This may not work for you. I am not giving medical advice. Just want to throw that out there. I'm just sharing with you what works for me. So I want to start with eating healthy. When I am eating packaged food, a bunch of processed sugar, fast food, fr fried food, I feel like shit. My mood is brought down. I get super depressed. So yes, I am on the bandwagon that believes that your diet contributes to your well-being and your mental state. Completely agree with that. So for me, it's really important to have a super healthy diet. Um, as many raw fruits and vegetables as possible. Now, I love red meat. I love potatoes. So I will never give those things up. Those are things for me. But you can do like grass-fed beef and boiled potatoes. And, you know, I do love butter. So I, I use butter. I don't eat a completely raw diet all the time and I do cook my vegetables, but you know, like the oils and stuff like that, like I, that makes me feel like shit. And that's just me personally, but 
I can promise you if you change your diet to be a little bit healthier and you ditch the fast food, the fried food, anything that comes in a package, you know, the Oreos, the goldfish, the Cheez-Its, the, yeah, just anything that comes in a package. It's all shit. Even the stuff that says it's a healthy snack, shit. And you just start eating like raw whole foods. And like, also I want to say that I used to be huge into diet culture. I would get every diet food, every fat-free, sugar-free food, low-calorie bullshit, whatever. You know, they got all these like Weight Watcher shit that you can do that are like 100 calories. These like frozen meals, they're like 300 calories, whatever. It's all so fucking unhealthy. And it. I think that all that shit contributes to feeling awful. It wasn't until I completely just stopped giving a fuck about the calories. I don't care about the micros and the macros because when I'm following a diet like that, I drive myself fucking insane because I'm looking at my damn app every day to see, you know, how many calories I've gotten and how many I have left. And then my whole fucking day becomes consumed with what I am not eating that day. And that is miserable. So there are some things that I splurge on, like, I'm not supposed to have buttered popcorn because I have an allergy to corn. I'm not allergic to corn, but I have an allergy to it. I fucking love popcorn. Unfortunately, it makes me feel like absolute teetotal shit. So, I mean, and I'm, you're talking to a person who, if I ever was sad in my 20s, I would go to the movie theater next door to my apartment. I would get a large ass bucket of buttered fucking popcorn. I wouldn't see a movie. I'd just take the popcorn home and house it in front of my TV. So yeah, giving up popcorn, it sucks. But I know that if I eat popcorn all the time, I just feel like shit. And I just, it's just like this weird, gross, like rundown feeling. But on occasion, every now and then I'll have some and it's not as bad because I don't have all this other shit in my body, but it's when you're eating this shit all the fucking time that your body just gets so infected and filled with toxic matter that it's just like impossible to detox it because you're just putting more bad shit back in. So yeah, diet's a huge one for me. That's something that I have to be disciplined about because I know that I do feel better and have way more energy when I'm healthy. And I've even stopped drinking soda I used to have like eight sodas a day. That that Splenda shit and the um the aspartame. So I actually found out I'm allergic to aspartame. Um, I had this whole ordeal where it was like breaking out on my skin every day, and I couldn't figure out what all my allergies were. And I was drinking eight diet cokes a damn day. Like that's disgusting. But I'm like zero cows, girl. You know, fuck it up. But you can't do that because it's not healthy. Just because it has zero calories does not mean it's healthy. It ain't. I hate to be the bearer of that news, but stop with all this diet shit. And I, of course, I'm not saying don't ever have a diet Coke. I still love diet Coke and I have one every now and then. I just went to McDonald's the other day because McDonald's has the best fountain diet Coke ever. I don't know what it is with their machine, but that shit is fire. I love McDonald's diet Coke. And when I have a headache, sometimes like I'll go and get one. And I know when you have a headache, that just means you're dehydrated and you should have water. Yes, I know that. I'm not perfect, but don't have eight Diet Cokes a day, it's gross and you'll start feeling like shit. And I was always bloated all the time. So I do drink Zevia soda, these like grape sodas. I get them from Amazon. I think they have them at Whole Foods too. And um, they have a bunch of different flavors, but I think all the other flavors taste a little bit flat. 
the grape one is where it's at. So I do drink that. Another thing that helps soothe my anxiety is meditating. Um, I hated meditating. And I will tell you that I used to say fuck off to anyone who tried to get me to meditate because I am so ADHD. And the thought, the mere thought of being still for even 20 minutes in a silent room, just like alone with my thoughts sounded like hell to me, honestly. It was so hard to start doing it. You have to learn how to meditate, I think. I just sat with myself and just, you take mental vacation is how I can say it works. So I'll sit there, look at the ceiling. I close my eyes. I imagine that I'm in Bora Bora on the beach. It's tropical. I have a pina colada in my hand. It's frozen. It has a lot of sugar and calories in it, but I don't give a fuck because this is my meditation and calories don't count in my meditation. I have the body of a goddess. They're playing little baby in Ghana and I'm dancing around, moving to the beat, having a glorious ass time. I'm getting sun kissed on my skin. I don't have sunscreen on because of my meditation. You don't need fucking sunscreen because that's just how the world is. It's perfect. And I imagine that I am the happiest person I could ever be. This is my bliss. I'm on a beach. Nobody can fucking talk to me. I'm by myself. There's no noise. There's nobody telling me I have to do this. Rin, you got to do this. Rin, I need this favor. Rin, can you come here? Rin, 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 I need, I need help. Fuck off. I'm in my meditation. And this is my deserted island. And no, I wouldn't take anybody to my fucking deserted island because this is my alone time, my meditation, my special time with myself. And then I imagine I take one of those little mushroom slushies they offer in Thailand. Start feeling all warm and fuzzy inside. And then the stars start getting purple and lime green and hot pink. I'm just like in a total bliss. And it's just beautiful. And like, shit, what a beautiful, beautiful time. And then I can hear the sound of the ocean the beautiful waves splashing onto the canoe that's nearby, beautiful blue skies. But then it looks a little purple because I drank a mushroom slushy from a place in Thailand. Yes, in my meditation, I went from Thailand to Bora Bora in 20 minutes. It was beautiful. And then all of a sudden, I'm like so calm. I mean, like I... I swear to God, just talking about that just now like made me immensely calmer. <laughs> like, I swear to God, I'm like calmer already. So that's how you start meditating. Yo, I'm, I'm definitely calmer now. Shit is crazy how that shit works. You just have to mentally take yourself to boot camp, I guess. I don't know. It's fucking crazy, man. It's crazy out there. I watched, okay, what's that movie? Oh, I watched The Lone Survivor the other night. My boyfriend made me watch it because I'd never seen it. It's with Mark Wahlberg, Taylor Kitsch, Emile Hirsch. There's some other people in there. I'm blanking on their names right now. Lone Survivor is about these four Navy SEALs who are in Afghanistan, and they go on this mission. This is a true fucking story, by the way. They go on this mission, and, you know, the Taliban starts attacking them, and they're getting shot at every which way. Everybody dies except for this one guy. Uh, I think his name is Marcus. It's played by Mark Wahlberg. 
God damn it. I can't say Mark Wahlberg's name. What a, the fuck is wrong with me today? I can't speak per usual. Um, so Marcus is played by Mark Wahlberg. And this dude tumbled down a mountain like five different fucking times. Got shot at. Lost an ear. Broke both of his legs. Broke his fucking back. His nose was like crunched in. This dude crawled with a broken back seven miles. Yo, every time I complain about it being cold outside and I need a sweater, my God, I feel like a fucking pussy ass bitch. This movie made me realize I complain way too much. What a fucking warrior. Damn. Shit was crazy. If you haven't seen this movie, I highly recommend. You might get a little anxiety after it, but, you know, do some meditation. Calm yourself down afterwards. I mean, the meditating that that Navy SEAL has to do, you know, to get out of his PTSD, I mean, must be fucking gnarly. Anyway, back to the anxiety tools. So, yes, the diet, the meditating. Okay, another thing that I do is I go get a shoulder massage every two weeks. Like, without question, I take time for myself, and I do it. I do it at the nail salon because the nail salon ladies are way better at giving massages than anyone who does, like, regular massages. I don't like lay-down massages. I fucking hate them. I am ticklish on my lower back, and it feels fucking weird to me. I just don't like it. And then when I'm, like, face down on the table, my sinuses get all stopped up, and it's just uncomfortable. I don't like traditional massages. I don't. But I hold tension up here, like, in my shoulders. I've been told that a lot of women hold tension up here and then in their hips. So, yeah. Doing the massage, it's a must. Getting a pedicure and a manicure is also something that I do every two, three weeks. You know, whenever these be looking haggard, I hit the nail salon. I cannot even be bothered to, like, sit at the nail salon for more than an hour. It gets so frustrating. So unless they'll do my feet my hands and my shoulder massage at the same time. Like I'll just do one and then like come back another day because I just don't have the patience or the time, you know, sometimes I'll like, if I'm just doing my feet, I'll bring my laptop and work or whatever. Cause I'm a multitasker. Other things that I do to deal with anxiety is, you know, t I take a walk outside in the neighborhood, whether it's 20 minutes or an hour, just taking that leisure ass time to just look at the nature and appreciate what's good. That really helps me. And especially if you're a person who works at your computer all day, force yourself to get up and walk around outside because you need the outside. You need the nature. Trust me. Trust me. Also, another thing, I watch Family Guy and Shark Tank because those two shows are very fucking happy to me. Nothing makes me laugh harder than Family Guy. That shit is so funny. Shark Tank also kind of makes me laugh sometimes when the ideas are about a fucking animal weird ass. Like I saw this thing on Shark Tank the other day. It was like a harness for a dog, but it, it was just so niche. And so and anyway, people will buy anything for their for their pets. And, you know, that's fine. You do you. And I also have heard this fact that if you watch something that you've already seen, that it like reduces anxiety because you know the outcome. Maybe watching these comedies like Girls Trip or Step Brothers or any of those Will Ferrell movies that I can quote or you can probably quote. Those 
doing that because you, you've already seen them. You know the plot. You know you know what the outcome is going to be. Another thing I do for reducing my anxiety is I like to go leisurely grocery shopping. For some reason, taking my sweet-ass time at the grocery store, like, and it's got to be at a time when there's no people in there. So, like, 8 a.m., 9 p.m. I don't know. I don't know what town you live in. Whenever there's no people at your grocery store, that's when you go. And just taking my time, looking at the apples, deciding which one's the prettiest color, and then leisurely putting it in the cart and imagining that I need all these 90 different spices for the things I'm not going to cook and wasting money at the grocery store, you know, whatever. That calms me down. Also, cooking actually really calms me down. But it's got to be something that's like, a really long recipe that there's like a lot of chopping involved. So I feel like I did something. Like I didn't just put flour and sugar into a bowl and mix it. Like I actually had to chop things and make it. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like you got to put the manpower in. You know what I mean? <laughs> How old are you? You're like 23. You don't cook. You don't know what I'm talking about. You, you live in a frat house. What else do I do for anxiety? Um, if I had a bike, I would go on a bike ride, but I don't have a bike. I'm hoping that someone will buy me a bike soon because I really want one. I'd say go to the beach, but like that's just unrealistic. Like even if you li I live nine blocks from the beach and I never go there. So that's just unrealistic to tell you to go to the beach, but just getting and people don't have time to do that. But like getting out, going for a walk. I think playing games on your phone, that doesn't really help me. Uh, definitely staying the fuck off of social media helps my anxiety immensely. Listening to positive videos helps me. Listening to music doesn't really help my anxiety because it's too intense. I think like if I have really high anxiety, I'm a psychopath and I'll just listen to no music in the car. And I'll realize that I'm anxious like halfway through the ride because I'm like, shit, no music has been playing. Or if I'm at the gym and I'm walking on the incline on the treadmill and I'm not listening to music, I'm like, shit, I, this is a high anxiety day. But then when I leave the gym, I feel so much better. Another thing, exercise. Damn, do some damn physical activity if you are anxious. Well, I don't understand. People complain about like, I'm so anxious. I'm so depressed. Well, get your ass off the couch and move. And I know it's hard when you're in this depressive state of mind. You don't feel like it. Look, I have been there. Trust me. I have been there in the times when I felt like the world was crashing down on me and I would never see the light of day. I've been there. But you have to power through. You have to just do a walk. Just do something as simple as a walk. And also, there's all these like different like dance workouts on YouTube and stuff, do a dance workout, you know, shake your ass a little bit. Don't put it on TikTok if you're over 30, but like shake it. I'm just kidding. You know, I'm actually like not opposed to people of all ages posting whatever they want on social media. Cause like, who gives a fuck? I don't know. Who cares? Oh, and the last thing I do to help reduce my anxiety is I paint. That's not one for everybody, but I love painting. I love creating stuff. I am a creative. I get paid to be a creative. I work as a creative. That's my job. But painting is not my job. There is no pressure for me to be good at painting. That's why it's so freeing to me. 
Um, a couple of people paid me on commission to make a painting for them. And for a while, I thought that maybe I would just like sell some paintings on the side. And then I got so stressed out by it because I was feeling all this pressure because I have so many projects and so many things going on. I have writing projects. I have acting projects. I have producing projects. I have this podcast. I have other writing jobs that like don't pertain to entertainment, but they're just like separate copywriting jobs. And then on top of that, to add like my art as a component to it was just so stressful for me. So I just stopped that entirely because I realized like painting is my hobby. It's just something that I want to keep as my hobby. If somebody wants to buy one of the 900 paintings I have in my house that I don't have room for, then that's fine. But I'm not going to pursue it because it's, you know, it's just too stressful because I have too much going on. Maybe one day I'll hire an assistant and get that going, but it's too much for right now. You also have to realize like when you've taken on too much, you know, I think all of us, we do take on too much because we want to get to the top. You have kids and you take on being the house mom or I don't know what you call it. I don't have children, but like, I mean, obviously you can tell that, but like, you know, the PTA mom or the PTO mom or whatever the hell you call it, you take on this role where you're the PTO president or you're bringing the snacks to the school or whatever, because you want to be the good mom, but then you're balancing your five other kids and you got your job here and there. Yo, that is stressful. Like, don't take on that stress just because you want to be, like, the it mom. Who gives a fuck? People are going to like you anyway if you, like, stay in your, like, confident power and you just be the boss lady you are. You don't need to do 9,000 things. So anyway, um, I took the painting back down to being just, like, a hobby for me. And that really, like, helped you know, whatever. It's way too expensive of a hobby, but like, whatever. You know, a lot, a lot of people I know do gardening for their hobby. They say that you should have one creative endeavor that you get paid for, one creative endeavor that you don't make money on that's just your hobby, and then one that like inspires you. I don't know. I'm like fucking this quote up, but you should have like five different things that you like doing, like that make money, that like are fulfilling to you, that are inspiring to you. And then like the last one's like something creative, that whatever, whatever, I'm, I'm fucking that up. But anyways, oh, I do want to talk about really quickly. Have y'all been watching the Amber Heard Johnny Depp trial? Have you been watching it? Yo, this is like, the t this is juicy. I mean, first of all, I'll say that, I mean, I, I can't, I feel like badly, speaking on something that I wasn't present for, you know, like I wasn't like in their relationship, like who knows, there's two sides to every story. But I will say that I have spoken about borderline personality disorder on this podcast before. So that is why I'm speaking on this case right now, because I don't want borderline personality disorder to get a bad name. And I think people are automatically like associating that's the reason why Amber Heard has been so crazy. Dr. Curry, the psychologist that Johnny Depp's team hired to examine Amber Heard, said that Amber Heard had borderline personality disorder and histrionic personality disorder. So, okay, I'm just going to read you the Mayo Clinic's definition of borderline personality disorder. It is a mental health disorder that impacts the way you think and feel about yourself and others, causing problems functioning in everyday life. It includes self-image issues, difficulty managing emotions and behavior, and a pattern of unstable relationships. Okay, so nowhere in that description is there a vicious, you know, vindictive, violent description. This is 
more about a person's own relationship with themselves. And that's why it's very typical for addicts to be diagnosed with borderline personality disorder because it's about the way they view about themselves. And most addicts do not have a lot of self-confidence because of their addiction. With borderline personality disorder, you have an intense fear of abandonment or instability, and you may have difficulty tolerating being alone. Yet inappropriate anger, impulsiveness, and frequent mood swings may push others away even though you want to have loving and lasting relationships. So yeah, I will say there's a lot of hot and cold behavior with someone who has borderline personality disorder, but it's nothing violent. Like they're not gonna like punch you in the face or hit you or do anything harmful to you, or at least that's my experience with it. It's more about they're in a mood with themselves, so they'll just push you away, basically. And that, again, that is my experience with it. Not saying that that's how everyone with borderline personality disorder is. Now, the histrionic personality disorder, the Mayo Clinic's definition of that says it is a condition characterized by dramatic, overly emotional, or unpredictable thinking or behavior. So, in, and then in Dr. Curry's testimony, she said that those with the condition can tend to take on a victim or princess role with false stories. So it can manifest in constantly seeking attention, being excessively emotional, dramatic, or sexually provocative to gain attention, speaking dramatically with strong opinions, but few facts or details to back them up. Okay, so I just want to say that the histrionic personality disorder that... Dr. Curry diagnosed Amber Heard with, that is the one that is cause for concern, not borderline personality disorder. The borderline personality disorder could feed into her addiction problems. I don't know if she had addiction problems, but, you know, that is, again, very typical in addicts. So I just wanted to touch on that because when I saw the um, diagnosis and I heard all these people talking about, like, how oh my God, she has borderline personality disorder. Like how crazy is she? It's not, you're not crazy if you have borderline personality disorder. That does not mean you're crazy. You don't need to be in a mental institution. Like it's a lot of people have it. A lot of people that you know have it and you don't know they have it. Trust me. It's very common. It's a lot, it's getting a lot more common because more therapists are understanding what it is. Oh, and then I was reading about, so I, of course, like I went to Dr. Curry's website because I'm just like so intrigued by everything about this woman because she was so smart. Okay, so there was an article on her website where she's talking about toxic positivity. And she says that toxic positivity is extremely harmful to the well-being of children. It prevents them from building true resiliency in that they are taught that it's not okay to experience an unpleasant emotion, let alone to have a mental illness that causes difficulties with depression or anxiety. It yields shame rather than providing effective tools to manage stress, to improve coping, and to get real help. So basically what she's saying is that if you're a parent and your kid is experiencing sad emotions, they're depressed, they're upset, and you immediately try to tame their emotions by telling them to look on the bright side. You know, be appreciative for all that you have. Yes, of course, that is like the first thing that we want to jump to say. But that is toxic positivity. You have to let your kid 
feel these awful emotions. Like it's not wrong to be angry. It's not wrong to be sad. It's not wrong to be depressed. And if you tell them to just get up and get out there and love yourself, like that's wrong because that's not how they're feeling. And then they don't feel validated when you say that. So then trauma gets inflicted. So I think I talked about on my first episode in this book, Loving Someone with Borderline Personality Disorder, I realized that I had not been approaching Harper in the right way, validating his feelings. So typically like when an addict comes to you and they, they're they really down on themselves and they're depressed and they say like, oh, like I'm just so worthless. Like I'm such a failure. I, I can't, I'm so mad at myself for being on drugs. Like I'm a loser. I'm never going to amount to anything. You know, and of course my first instinct and reaction is to tell him, oh my God, like, how could you say that about yourself? Like, you are so intelligent. You're so smart. I love you so much. Like, you're absolutely going to be something one day. You just have to get off drugs. That was wrong. Because when you say these things that contradict what the other person has just said, then they feel like they are invalidated. So they get even more frustrated because you're not validating what they're saying. So they just become more and more frustrated. So something you could say instead would be, I am so sorry that you're feeling like you're a failure, but you know this feeling isn't forever. The anxiety will eventually subside. How can I help you get to a place where you are feeling better about yourself and loving yourself more? Let me help you get to that place. And they will respond a lot better. And you can do the same thing. Like if you have kids and they're pitching a fit, they're crying, whatever, don't just tell them to brush it off and tough it out. Their their feelings need to be acknowledged. Now, if they're a fucking crybaby bitch and they're crying all the time and they're a spoiled brat, yeah, be tough with them. I mean, my parents were very tough with me, but you got to make them feel validated because we have to go through these emotions because what's going to happen is if you don't validate their emotions when they're a kid, they're going to grow up to become an adult who doesn't know how to have emotions and they're going to be fucking emotionally unstable. They're going to grow up to bottle their shit inside and not know how to appropriately handle emotions as an adult. Anyways, uh, I still have these claws on my nails. I just want to say that if you're getting your credit card stuck in parking machines like me, take a pair of tweezers and uh, pluck your credit card out of the credit card machine and you be Gucci, baby. Uh, have a great weekend and I love you all. Uh, feel free to slide in my DMs if you have a question. If you guys want advice about certain stuff, like happy to answer all of your questions. People have been asking me questions and I'm kind of basing the episodes on what people are asking me and wanting me to talk about. So, um, I think I'm going to do like a relationship episode soon. I'm having two best friends or two, two of my best friends. They are married. They're going to come on and they're going to talk about some relationship stuff and how to make a long-term relationship last and work. I love you all. See you next time. Enlighten me. Bitch, I be a boss. I got the sauce. No point in fighting me. Demons leave them torch. I run my kingdom. Call me sire. We never taking L's. Only lessons. No, we never counting fails. Only blessings. Never stressing. I said enlighten me. Bitch, I be a boss. I got the sauce. No point in fighting me. Gang, they hyping me. Rightfully. I am stable. I am able. I am wealthy. Full of health. On the rise. I got the belt. You got a problem? Check yourself, bitch.